The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on all sides and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not let, leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please remain standing as we pray. Father, as we begin to swim in your scripture this morning, may you nourish our dry bones. May you transform us. May we become more and more like you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd love you to invite you to take your seat. And I want to begin with a story to prime the pump this morning. There's a young man that I know quite personally who has two small kids, lives just up the road, and works at an Anglican church in downtown. I won't name names, though. One day this summer, on one of his days off, his family had plans to go on a little adventure around Raleigh. He'd been working a lot that week, and so his wife was extremely excited to have a day together, especially a day where they could parent together. So the night before, they eagerly talked through next day's plans and mapped out in detail what that adventure would look like. They went to bed both looking forward to the fun day that would be tomorrow as a family. Well, plans and emotions from, from the night before began to unravel when said young man began to snooze a few times that morning upon waking up. He had worked a long week and was pretty tired after all. When he did get up, he'd left about 30 minutes to get ready with everything that they needed to get outside the door. And of course, there was a lot to get ready before they would leave. Both children needed to be fed, diapers changed, outfits put on, snacks packed, and the car loaded. Despite this reality, when this young man walked into the kitchen and saw a few dishes in the sink, he immediately went into project mode. The dishes needed to be done, so he did them. But as he tried to put some of them in the dishwasher, he realized the dishwasher needed to be unloaded. So he began to unload the dishwasher. When the dishwasher was done, he realized there were crumbs on the floor, and so he began to sweep up the crumbs. Once that kitchen was fully clean, man, it looked good. But when all said and was done, there were still two crying children who needed to be dressed, an unpacked diaper bag, and a father who was still in his PJs. And oh, by the way, it was time to walk out of the door. Needless to say, once that family left the house, 45 minutes after the agreed-upon time due to a nap and unable to do plans because of a soon-impending nap time, his wife was not pleased. It's safe to say this person missed the mark on key priorities that morning. If you haven't figured it out by now, that story is about me. Now, it wasn't intrinsically bad that I tried to clean the kitchen. It's good and helpful to have a priority like that. However, in the grand scheme of things, I missed the bigger picture, the necessary and most important priorities of that day. Helping my wife, caring for my kids, honoring our plans, 
and making memories as a family. As humans, it's easy to put our priorities in the wrong order. We miss the bigger priorities time and time again. The characters in the Bible are just like us in this way. And Jonah is no exception. Jonah also has a big problem, prioritizing. So let's quickly recap the plot of Jonah up through chapters one through three. So Jonah was a prophet whose God-given priority was to reveal God's character and continue the mission of Israel to be a light to the nations. His role was to help the Ninevites repent and live based on God's ways. This is what God wanted Jonah to prioritize. However, Jonah's personal priorities led him an entirely different way, literally fleeing in the exact opposite direction. He knew the Ninevites to be wicked and cruel. He believed them undeserving of God's compassion and mercy. But it was impossible for Jonah to outrun God, nor could he disregard God's priorities of grace, mercy, and love. Therefore, Jonah ends up preaching repentance to the Ninevites after he's thrown into the deep, swallowed by a fish, and then vomited back upon land. Our passage this morning concludes the book and describes Jonah's response to God's mercy. And he doesn't respond well. And the reason is because Jonah's priorities are at odds with God's priorities. Turn with me to page 775 in your red Bible. And let's look at Jonah 4, starting at verse 1. It's page 775 in the Bibles that are in front of you. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in, yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah has the chutzpah and the gall to be displeased and angry at God because of the way he's dealt with the Ninevites. Jonah is angry at God for being God. If you look at the footnote in your red Bible, it notes that in the Hebrew, this first phrase can be translated, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah and he was angry. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah, and he was angry. Don't miss this. Jonah's disposition is not one where it's like, oh God, I know you want to save the Ninevites. I don't like it, but okay, you're God. That's fine. No, Jonah's saying, I'm offended by how this has ended, God. And you know, I thought you'd make this mistake from the beginning. That's why I tried to run away. Your compassion and mercy in this case, it's not just foolish and wasted. It's downright evil. Whoa. That's an intense response from a prophet. A man of God is calling God evil. Now what could cause Jonah to respond like this? Well again, let's call to mind Jonah's priority. Jonah wants Nineveh to be destroyed. As we've discussed this whole sermon, objectively, the Ninevites are a wicked people. They constantly bring pain and destruction upon others. At any moment, they could even attack Israel. This is a huge reason why Jonah doesn't believe they deserve compassion and mercy. 
But on top of that, Jonah believes God's mercy, his grace, his slowness to anger and steadfast love should only apply to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is God's chosen people. Jonah wholeheartedly wants God to only care for the descendants of Abraham, not other nations. The Ninevites don't have the covenants with God, the faithful forefathers, nor the laws of Moses. So Jonah doesn't believe the Ninevites should be a priority. That's why his perspective takes center stage. I want you to notice the number of times the word I is used in verse 1 and 2. The word I. It's used four times. When you add in the words like Jonah, he, or my, the references to Jonah increase to eight times in the span of two verses. Jonah's reality is self-referential. Jonah thinks he knows what's best in this situation. I wonder how many times you've ever thought you know better than God. That there's a right way to deal with our government or maybe even the Chinese, Russian, or Ukrainian governments. Or even thought, you know, Scripture says one thing, but I really know what's better when it comes to sexual boundaries. Or you know what God should do to fix a certain injustice or right the ship of culture. For as much as we scoff at Jonah in his response, thinking, I'd never do something like that, we tend to act and think just like him. Our priorities are often at, God, at odds with God's, and we think he should do things differently. I want to add a word of warning to this way of operating. When we order the world based on our priorities and when we lose focus on God's, it doesn't turn out well. The rest of Jonah 4 shows us that this is true. So let's turn back our, at our text and begin looking at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. Remember the backdrop. Jonah's priorities are not happening. Consequently, he begins to spiral. I want you to notice three things about Jonah in this set of verses. He's closed-minded, he's hypocritical, and he's angry. He's closed-minded, he's hypocritical, and he's angry. Let's first talk about how he's closed-minded. Jonah is resistant to any reality other than his self-made narrative. It's why he can't break free from his expectations of how he thinks the story should end. 
In verse 5, notice that Jonah builds a booth to the east of the city. He does this because he wants to see what happens to the city. If you remember in Jonah 3, Jonah preached that the Ninevites had 40 days to change their ways. 40 days have yet to elapse. And so Jonah is still holding on to hope that the Ninevites are exhibiting a false repentance. Jonah is camping out, waiting to see if God will bring disaster upon the Ninevites in a Sodom and Gomorrah-like fashion. And since God always comes from the east, Jonah wants a front row seat to the action. Jonah's priorities make him close-minded. Next, I want you to notice Jonah's hypocrisy. His priorities make him a hypocrite. Remember, Jonah doesn't think the Ninevites deserve God's mercy, his grace, or any expression of his love. And yet, these are the exact realities that Jonah expects for himself. This is evident in this odd episode with this plant. It's hard to exactly know what this plant is. This is the only place in the entire Bible where this word is used. And so commentators speculate that it's a castor oil plant. And that's even noted in footnotes again in your red Bibles. Regardless, God grows it up and destroys it in less than 24 hours. And what's important amidst this episode is not so much the plant and the worm, but rather what it reveals about Jonah. This is the first time in the whole Jonah saga where Jonah is glad about something. The text says that Jonah is exceedingly glad about the plant. Now, why is that? I think there's a little more going on than a simple desire for physical comfort in the form of shade. If you look back, remember, Jonah already has some form of shade from his booth. The text says that. Jonah is thrilled, though, because he sees this plant as confirmation. He views it as validation and vindication that God is actually going to destroy Nineveh. He's closed-minded to any other possibility than his narrative. And he's blind to the fact that God is actually chiseling at the hypocrisy and idols in Jonah's own heart. The hypocrisy is that Jonah desires shade from the heat, but doesn't want the Ninevites shaded from the burning wrath of God. Jonah pities something as temporal as the plant, but doesn't want God to pity the men, women, children, and animals of the great city of Nineveh. Jonah believes he deserves God's mercy, deserves God's blessing, yet he doesn't want that for the Ninevites. He doesn't love his neighbor as himself. Jonah's priorities make him a hypocrite. When the plant is destroyed, and when it's confirmed that his priorities won't happen, Jonah is consumed by anger. This is the third and final impact on Jonah. So the word anger or angry is used six times in this short passage. Jonah's anger even prompts him to desire death over life three times in this narrative. Jonah is devoured by blistering anger. In his delusion, even when God asks him, do you do well to be angry? Jonah emphatically answers yes. He thinks it's better for him to be angry. Jonah's rage has made him impulsive and he's lost touch with reality. 
But even more tragic through this whole episode is that he's become the antithesis to God. The story is dripping with irony because only moments ago, Jonah describes God as slow to anger. Jonah is quick to anger rather than abounding and rather than abounding in steadfast love, Jonah's impulsive and he's emotionally unstable. You know, the nail in the coffin is that Jonah wants to take his own life. Life in the form of a second chance is the very thing that God has just given to the people of Nineveh. Jonah's priorities have left him closed-minded, hypocritical, and angry. Friends, this also is our fate if we lose sight of God's priorities. We too become self-referential, closed-minded, petty, hypocritical, angry, and easily distracted. When we as creatures define reality and dictate priorities, we turn inwards upon ourselves and we begin to spiral. We self-implode. The only way to flourish is if we are drawn out from ourselves. If we turn our attention upwards and outwards. We can only live well if we reflect God's priorities. Priorities rooted in God's character of grace, mercy, slowness of anger, and steadfast love. But for any of us who've tried to live like this, even for a day, we know it's basically impossible. Going back to that story about the dishes on my day off, situations like this will happen over and over again. We can't avoid them. So what do we do? We daily reorient ourselves to the God we see in Jonah 4. The good news is that God prioritizes transformation. The book of Jonah could have ended after chapter 3. Think about it. The Ninevites turn from their evil ways and God relents his hand of judgment. This is the natural, woohoo, yay God moment. This would have been the neat and pretty conclusion. Instead, we witness Jonah's spiral. But therein lies the glory and the beauty. Once again, for the nth time in the Bible, we get to witness firsthand how God never gives up on his people. Even amidst Jonah's spiral, he's still consistent and unwavering in his character. You know, God's actions say, are you done yet, Jonah? I'm still here. I want to draw your attention again to verse 6. It reads, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. The last phrase, to save him from his discomfort, is just as important as it is heart-melting. God wants to save Jonah from himself. And what makes me think this? Well, there's a wordplay happening in this verse. Again, as noted in your red Bible, the word for discomfort can also mean evil. So it would read, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his evil. Remember, we've discussed the word evil before as well. In verse 1, the phrase, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, can be translated 
it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. God is trying to save Jonah from the evil of his mindset. He's trying to break into Jonah's narrative, transform his priorities, and save him from himself. The word appoint is key throughout the whole book of Jonah. God appoints a fish in chapter 1. He appoints a plant. He appoints a worm. He appoints a scorching eastern wind. All in chapter 4. God consistently appoints situations time and time again to lead Jonah into the same repentance, the same heart transformation he desires for the Ninevites. But it goes just further. This is not just for Jonah. It's not just for the Ninevites. It's also for you. And it's also for me. Jonah 4 ends in an odd way. It reads, verse 10, And the Lord said, You pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. As readers, we're left with a cliffhanger. We don't get to see or hear Jonah's response. That's because it's not really about Jonah. The book of Jonah is ultimately about God. And it offers us an invitation to respond to him. Do we still think we know better than God? Will our hearts experience transformation? Will we act more righteously than Jonah? As people who are works in progress, let me remind you of the gospel once again. Our future hope and flourishing aren't realized whether we're better than Jonah, whether we're the better Jonah or not. Someone has already done that on our behalf. God takes on flesh in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better Jonah. In the New Testament, Jesus sits atop another hill overlooking another city. Instead of desiring its destruction, he weeps over the city and his people with compassion and mercy. Instead of offering chastisement, he cries, comfort, comfort. Would I have gathered my children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? See, instead of sitting under a booth demanding justice upon a wicked people, Jesus hangs on a wooden cross bearing that judgment and reckoning upon himself. Jesus dies the death that we deserve so that we can enjoy the benefits we could never earn. He takes our sin we get his righteousness. At the end of this book, God asked Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 12,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And Jesus, amidst the crushing weight of God's judgment, answers that question, yes. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The miracle of the whole book of Jonah, the whole Bible, in fact, is God. As we've discussed through this whole sermon series, Jonah is a man who runs from grace. He runs from God because his priorities are at odds with God's. And the sinfulness is absurd. 
And yet despite his closed-mindedness, his hypocrisy and anger, God never gives up on Jonah, nor the Ninevites. God's priorities remain steadfast even when Jonah spirals, because this is God, our God, a God of mercy, grace, slowness of anger, with steadfast love who relents from disaster. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a God of such perfect and amazing characters. May we be transformed and softened by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that even as we flee, you came to earth to pursue your people. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.